when we talk about pairs, the only thing that we can really be sure is variability. There is going to have a lot of variability. And it seems like this strain find opportunity to get some herds and start to cause problems. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Ivonic. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Evonic Animal Nutrition. Evonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Evonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Giovanni Trevisan, who is from Iowa State's Veterinary College of Medicine. How are you today, Giovanni? Hi, Laura. I'm good. How about you? Pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you taking your time today. I know we're going to talk a lot about PERS and, and particularly the strain of, of PERS virus that we're dealing with today in the United States. But before we get started, I'd like you to take a moment and just introduce yourself to our audience. As you say, I am Giovanni Trevisan from Iowa State University. I am a postdoc trainee here at the university and currently I am an uh, coordinator of the Swine Disease Reporting System. So a background about Swine Disease Report System, it's a project that collects and collates data from different VDLs. And when I say different veterinary diagnostic laboratories, I'm talking about Iowa State University, South Dakota, University of Minnesota, and Kansas State University. So on this process, we collect data from these VDLs and do aggregate and report for the US swine industry in terms of what are the mega trends of detection of some agents. And up to now, we have data for porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, birth virus, porcine epidemic diarrhea, porcine delta coronavirus, transmissible gastroenterite virus, and mycoplasma hyomone, all of them by PCR detection. For PERS, we do have information about our five sequence came from Iowa State University and the University of Minnesota. Very good. That sounds like a, 
a lot of information that you're getting from the industry. And we'll, I'd like to talk more about that today. Uh, I think I'd like to start actually with the PERS virus. It's one that definitely is on the forefront of many people's minds. Um, certainly we've seen a, a huge impact in swine production numbers this spring um, because of the virus. And could you share a little bit about what we're seeing today with, with the PERS virus strains that, that are currently out there? Sure, that's a good start. And PERS virus was what motivated the start of this project and this project is funded by the Swine Health Information Center, by the way. So when you look for PERS virus detection by PCR, we can see that there is some seasonal trends of detection of this agent where we have the highest detection during winter months and the lower detection during summer months. And when you look for age category, we do have information for adult south farms and for winter market age category. By the way, it's one differential, this, this source of information for winter market nowadays. And the winter market age categories always has a higher positive number of cases than the adult south farms. And it's like, Every year, in the second half of the year, this positivity in wind marks precede an increase in positivity of adult cell farm. When we look for the current scenario of virus detection, more specifically 2020-2021, we start to see some changes in terms of detection. At the end of 2020, we do have some background statistical algorithms that monitor this data. We start to see some signals for increased detection of PERS virus. And when we looked for that was basically for increased detection that was occurring in the Corn Belt region, more specifically Midwestern states of Minnesota and Iowa. More recently in May and June, July, we looked for the same detection of PERS virus looking for PCR results. And we start to see lowest levels of detection for PERS virus in winter market age category uh, when compared with historical results. So it seems like we are having a high activity of this agent uh, in this same region. Very interesting. So we, we saw this start last fall in the Corn Belt in Iowa and Minnesota, and it's continuing on, of course, as, as you're mentioning, we're still seeing it. In July, and I think that's what's been interesting to me as we were talking before this podcast was just that typically, as you mentioned, PERS virus is a, a winter disease, and we typically see the greatest activity. But to see the the one four four strain in particular um, carry on for so long is is a little bit unique. Would that be a correct statement? Yeah, that's a correct statement. If you look for the PERS virus sequence. There is this new strain that emerged last year. It was firstly detected in January of 2020 in Minnesota. And looks like this uh, group of sequence, they cluster really together. And the name that was given to it was first one for four lineage one C variant. And it's having was a higher number of detection of this strain in October, November of last year, when it was the first signal for increased detection. But now at May was a lot of breaks in South Farms. So it's a lot of pressure of infection in this region. Lots of uh, low CT values in samples tested coming from uh, winter market age category. 
So it seems like these strains play a major role in the U.S. wine industry at this moment. Just a, a side note, and we need to be clear that the states that are most affected, it's Minnesota and Iowa. If you look for other regions like uh, states where you are not having these uh, strains circulating, it's following a normal trend with lowering the detection of first virus for this time of year. So it's a different trends across different regions of the U.S. That's very interesting. So it, it does seem to be centralized in the Midwest, this strain. Um, are there anything or is this is there anything unique about this strain? So, you know, I can remember years ago we had a 144 strain before, um, which was also a pretty brilliant strain. But again, this one seems to be behaving a little bit differently. Do you do you see the same trends and patterns? Yeah, that, that's uh, a good point, and it has been report, reported by some practitioners about that. And when we talk about PERS, the only thing that we can really be sure is variability. There is going to have a lot of variability. And it seems like this strain find opportunity to uh, get some herds and start to cause problems. So if you look for uh, coronavirus, like last year, we had some, when we first get here, hits a lot of people, a lot of people get sick. Some got through that well, but some not. And this is exactly what we are seeing with this damp curve of this strain. The particular difference that we are having is that when it enters a herd, it sticks with that herd. It causes a lot of problems, some mortality, some abortions, and the people have some difficulty to get rid of that strains. And sometimes you get a farm in one point and 50, 100 miles away, you can recover the exactly the same strain. Maybe there is some connection between those farms, but sometimes there is not. So it seems like there is a lot of uh, regional effect in the spread of this strain across different farms. And if you look for the swine industry in the last decade, we have been investing a lot on biosecurity and farms even have used filter farms to try to reduce the, the frequency of outbreaks. And in some of those farms, these strains has find the opportunity to get through. We don't know how, but it's something different about this scenario that we are seeing. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's something that I've also heard as well from some of the practitioners in the industry is that it seems to be affecting our filtered farms. Um, maybe not quite equally, but more than expected uh, compared to our non-filtered farms. So I do agree. I think there is something that that does appear to be unique. Um, also, when we think about the sow farm in particular and the potential duration that the virus is existing on the sow farm, um, I know we're fairly, I wanna say fairly early because we're not quite typically at our, our 26 week mark where we really try to define a farm as, as stable when we think about when our farms are mainly affected. But are we hearing that we're seeing more virus lasting longer in these herds as well? There is a report, the early breaks of more than 2020. So some of those farms adopted measures as load closure, homogenized the herd and started the process of getting rid of the virus. There is some recent reports of some of those get success with doing that. But the others, it's so bad, the, the scenario that's caused by this strain that the producers are choosing to depopulate the farm. So 
thinking about a fixed period of time to say 26 weeks to get stable, that's not the case that we are seeing in swine industry. Even with other strains, it's taking longer. And one contribution, potential contribution, that is that we are able to better detect the virus that is circulating in the farm. As an example, recently has new sample types like processing fluids that has been validated to monitor these agents, and we are able to sampling more animals in that herd. So probably we are able to uh, detect the virus at lower prevalence scenario. And then this helps us to keep classifying the farm as unstable because we are detecting more. So it's a, a trend on the, out the industry and not only this strain in particular. Are you ready for the most innovative web conference of the swine industry? Swine Talks, the TED Talks of the global swine industry on October 6th and 7th, 2021, with over 25 internationally renowned speakers who will deliver powerful and engaging talks. Reserve now your spot at swinetalks.com. Very good. Um, the other thought or question that I have to this is really, so as we talked about, it's, it is a bit unique that we're still seeing farms being affected in June and July. And while it's hot out and we recognize it as summer, fall's not that far away. And typically, you know, we start to see migration of, of PERS virus again start in October or November. And so we don't really seem to maybe be having the gap that we would typically think of with the summer, you know, quieting the PERS viruses down. So what do we anticipate for the fall when we think about the progression of the strain? Well, that's a, a good point and is a concern of the swine industry as well about that. If you look for the timeline, as you mentioned, there was a, a lot of breaks now in May and June. And if those farms adopted measures like closure, homogenize, and are going to start to deliver positive peaks, basically July, August, to the downstream, we may start to have a restarting of the process again of the spread of this agent across the farms where these animals are placed. So we may see some increased impersonalized detection before than the previous years and facilitated by this behavior of this strain. So it's a, a good advice always to keep uh, looking for the biosecurity and containment measures to try to avoid the, the spread of this agent across different regions and farms as a tentative to reduce this uh, bad per season. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was going to be my next question, actually, is if we do anticipate that this strain could continue to progress through the rest of the year, and obviously every time it passes through an animal has a chance to, to mutate, you know, what what are those biosecurity measures that we think could be the most effective in trying to reduce this progression of, of this virus strain? Well, that, that's a, a good question about the spread of these strains. We, we are kind of in the middle of the epidemic of these, this current circulation across farms, and we cannot expect that our farms are going to behave the same. It's possible that some farms have some kind of immunity for other similar strains that are going to help to go through easily of the process is not what we have seen as an overall, but we need to have more information to capture really this variability and try to find resources that may work to contain spread. Maybe vaccines that are immunological too may help, but 
We don't know that exactly yet. And when we talk about the biosecurity and biocontent measures, it's basically don't don't let the, the guard down about uh, implement basic biosecurity uh, practice like in wind finish farms have clear definition between clean and dirty lines, change clothes when moving across farms, watch for how we are doing the cleaning and disinfecting and baking when possible the, the trucks for the, the movement of animals, peoples. So there is a, a lot of things that can be done and we really need to start with the basic ones is watching who ends the farm, how that enters, how is the process of moving these animals and peoples. We know that it's very difficult to be perfect, but we need to start with the very basic things first. Excellent advice. Biosecurity is, is always one of those things that we have to continue to, to work on and, and practice regularly to, to get good at, I think. Right, and basically, if you want to have good biosecurity practices in the farm, you need to continue how you hear around, remind the people that they need to follow that and not let the guard go down during the, the summer months. Mm -hmm. Yes, very good point. So your project, as you mentioned, also focuses on other diseases. So you're, you're tracking PDV, Delta Corona, uh, as well as mycoplasma. Can you comment on any trends or patterns you're seeing with any of the other diseases currently? Yeah, for sure. So for the entire coronavirus, we have those three agents that is TGE, PD, and Delta Corona. TGE, it's very curious to see. In a year, we have less than a handful number of cases that tested positive for TGE, even though we tested basically 3,000 cases per month. So it's an agent that we can basically speculate that it's circulating at very, very low levels of prevalence in the United States. PED, we are having a year with lower detection of these agents when we compare with historical years. So that's a, a good sign. We know how to deal that by enters a, a farm. So, and Delta coronavirus seems like we had some activity of this agent above the expected during the winter months. And that may contribute for more testing to detect the agent, but else may be contributed by uh, opportunity that the agent may have found to circulate and infect other farms before we really knew that was around and causing problems. If you look for Delta coronavirus, it's an agent that doesn't cause as much problem as PD when enters a south farm. So that may contribute for delay a little bit in detection whenever possible it's spread around. And the other agent that is a bacteria that's mycoplasma hyomone, it's an interesting agent. We are having the lower level of detection for this agent right now. And it's kind of during the fall months is where we really start to see increased detection for this one. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. So most of our, our other diseases that we typically think about are, are fairly quiet during the summer months. I, I also had heard that Delta Corona had um, come about a little bit this the spring with some activity, but I hadn't heard uh, how it was behaving over the summer months. So um, sounds like most of our other main diseases that we focus on have, have been relatively quiet. Is there a, a place online that, 
that people can see any information about what you're seeing in terms of the trends and patterns? Or is that something that if they're interested in learning more about, they need to contact you directly? Oh, that is a, the information is trying to make available at different channels. The, the online dashboards that are interactive is available on the project website. And that is www.fieldapp.org slash SDRS, that stands for Science Disease Report System. And we produce monthly reports that are distributed by email for whoever wants to sign for that. By the way, today we released the July report. And in that we have the most relevant finds of information for that month. Before we do release this report, we have advisory group that is major veterinarians and producers that represents the US swine industry that provide some input to the data and provide feedback about those things. So we try to associate diagnosed results with the what's happening in the field to, to provide better information. That's there available in this report. It goes to email. The Swine Health Information Center uploads this report in their website and distribute on the Chic newsletter. Additionally, we do distribute by LinkedIn, and we do have audio and video reports that goes for a YouTube channel for the project. So we try to make this information available as much as possible to give awareness for producers and veterinarians of what's the current situation of the market the immunological level of this agent's detection, and they provide information to make informed decisions about uh, disease prevention, management, and control. Very good. So sounds like there's multiple opportunities for us to access the information, whether it's through the project's website, the Swine Health um, website, or through LinkedIn. So that's that's wonderful to hear that we have lots of opportunities to, to get to the information and particularly to track it. Um, I myself, I apologize, have not been on the website yet. So do you show maps of, of the United States and and where certain activity is, or is it more just based on positive cases associated within geographical locations? That's a, a good question. If you go for a website, we have these dashboards for detection. We do have maps where they are feed by statistical algorithms that run in the background to monitor this data and inform changes in terms of uh, detection for these agents at a state level. So we do have for the 11 states with the highest swine inventory or where the participant videos are located, where we do monitor this information at a monthly basis that you can find changes from baseline levels for those states. And to run for all of these agents, we run more than 100 uh, statistical algorithms in the background to provide this information. So. And for the interactive dashboards, you have the ability to filter by states or regions, age, sample type. So there is a, a lot of dynamic information there available. Mm -hmm. And in time, just uh, today, we've released the report for one of the SDRS. We just provide a new uh, type of information that is a dashboard where you can compare first virus strains classified according with RFLP type or lineage classification uh, over time. So there is a lot of questions about, oh, one person strains is from RFLP, as example, the one for four lineage 1C variant. It's classified as that because 
the sequences really cluster together. It's very, they are very tied with each other. But if you look for the lineage one, see, not our lineage one C's are LFLP144. The other way around, not our LFLP144 are lineage one C. So there is a lot of difference. And we just put this new educational tool available online that you can go and play with the filters and classify our sequence according to RFLP and see what are lineage inside of that. Or the other way around, classifying the lineage and see what are the RFLP. So we keep continuing moving the project and providing better tools. And we envision the future to include by the probably by the end of this year, no later than that, information for influenza A and for science hypovirus on this project. So we continue to expand. I think that'll be wonderful information and very helpful to our veterinary community as they continue to track diseases and prepare producers for, you know, obviously fall and, and what's to come with our, our typical seasons of disease. So that sounds like great, great work. I, I feel the same. They have been requesting for that. So I think it's going to be very useful. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, as we kind of wrap up our, our conversation here, are there any key points that you'd like our audience to remember today from our conversation around your work and, and the PERS virus and other diseases that you're talking about? Well, keep turning. We have been putting this information every month out and is a resource that can help to take him, uh, be uh, updated about the trends, trends of agent detection and help for informed decision about these uh, agents across different regions. So if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. We will be happy to help as much as we can with the, the data that we have available and the way that we can present that. Keep your guard on by secured by containment across farms, try to, to reduce the spread of the agents. We feel very confident that those measures will be helpful in this scenario. So not only during winter months, but now during summer months, keep doing the best that you can to protect your farms and as a consequence, the other farms that are around. Very good, good point. So um, pay attention to our biosecurity even in the summer months. And uh, obviously, if you have any questions or, or comments on the project or the information, feel free to, to reach out to Giovanni and his team. I think that's, that's wonderful information. It is time to our famous three. The truth is precision swine production is not the future. It is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So as we wrap up our podcast, as you know, we like to ask our guest um, speaker a couple of different questions. The first question we like to ask you is, what is your go-to swine resource book? Well, that is straightforward for me as a veterinarian. I assume that most of those say that is the disease of swine. So I use that as my uh, notebook to take information all the time. And I'm biased to say, but I continue to visit these websites of the veterinary diagnostic laboratory because they continue to put information that is new on their website and get updates. 
Yeah, I agree. I think those are both great. I spend a lot of time on the diagnostic web pages reading about the different diseases as well. So I think that's a, a great resource as well as, of course, our, our diseases of swine book. Um, how about outside of work? Are there any interesting books that you've read recently that you would recommend to our audience? Well, I, I don't have a book specifically that I recommend. I, I keep trying to look for the, the news channel most of the time and pick one that it's most, uh, that calls my attention to read. I don't read all of them, but screen those things. And so I move around different sites, different information that everyone can create their own database to look for those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. The, the last question I have for you today, Giovanni, is, is really around when you think about people that you work with or that you've interacted with that you define as successful, what are some key traits about those individuals that you feel makes them successful? Well, I think that's a great question. Most of the time is is people that are not afraid to make the things go forward in a correct or wrong way. And for sure that depends on your perspective, but you need to be brave enough to accept your errors or to uh, go, go ahead and celebrate your what you did right. So those are the, the type of people that I see as successful. Very good, very good. Well, again, um, for our audience, this is Dr. Giovanni Trevisan from the Iowa State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Uh, we do thank you for your time, Giovanni, and wish you all the best on your work. Thank you, Laura. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.